Love is not enough. In a parsha laden with laws, one in particular is full of fascination. Here it is. If a man has two wives, one loved, the other unloved, in Hebrew, senua, which literally means hated, and both the loved and the unloved bear him sons, but the firstborn is the son of the unloved wife, then when he wills his property to his sons, he mustn't give the rights of the firstborn to the son of the beloved wife, in preference to his actual firstborn, the son of the unloved wife. He must recognize the legal rights of the firstborn of his unloved wife so as to give him a double share of all he has, for he is the first of his father's strength. The birthright is legally his. Now the law makes eminent sense. In biblical Israel, the firstborn was entitled to a double share in his father's inheritance. What the law tells us is that this is not at the father's discretion. He can't choose to transfer this privilege from one son to another. In particular, he can't do this by favouring the son of the wife he loves most, if in fact the firstborn came from another wife. The opening three laws. A captive woman taken in course of war, the above war about the rights of the firstborn, and the ben Sorel-Mora, the stubborn and rebellious son, are all about dysfunctions within the family. The sages said that they were given in this order to hint that somebody who takes a captive woman will suffer from strife at home and the result will be a delinquent son. In Judaism, marriage is seen as the foundation of society. Disorder there leads to disorder elsewhere. So far, so clear. But what's extraordinary about it is that it seems to be in the sharpest possible conflict with a major narrative in the Torah, namely Jacob and his two wives, Leah and Rachel. Indeed, the Torahbites' use of language makes unmistakable verbal linkages between the two passages. One is the pair of opposites, Ahava, Ahuva, and Senua, loved and unloved or hated. That's exactly the way the Torah describes Rachel and Leah in relation to Jacob. Recall the context. Fleeing from home to his uncle Laban, Jacob fell in love at first sight with Rachel and worked seven years for her hand in marriage. On the night of the wedding, however, Laban substituted his elder daughter Leah. When Jacob complained, why have you deceived me? Laban replied with intentional irony, it's not done in our place to give the younger before the elder. Jacob then agreed to work another seven years for Rachel. The second wedding took place a mere week after the first. And then we read, and Jacob went in also to Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. God saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel remained barren. Leah called her firstborn Reuven, but her hurt at being less loved remained. And we read this about the second birth of her second son. She became pregnant again and had a son. God has heard that I was unloved, Sunua, she said. And he also gave me this son. So she named the son Shimon, God heard. The word Sunua appears only six times in the Torah, twice in the passage above about Leah, four times in our parasha in connection with the law of the rights of the firstborn. There's an even stronger connection. The unusual phrase, Reshit no. The first of his father's strength appears only twice in the Torah, here 
for he is the first of his father's strength. And in relation to Reuben, Leah's firstborn son, Reuben said, Jacob, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first of my strength, first in rank and first in power. Because of these substantive and linguistic parallels, the attentive reader cannot but hear in the law in our Pasha a retrospective commentary on Jacob's conduct vis-a-vis his own sons. Yet that conduct seems to have been precisely the opposite of what is legislated here. Jacob did transfer the right of the firstborn from Reuben, his actual firstborn, son of the less loved Leah, to Joseph, the firstborn of his beloved Rachel. This is what he told Joseph. Now the two sons who were born to you in Egypt before I came here shall be considered as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be just like Reuben and Shimon to me. Reuben should have received a double portion, but instead this went to Joseph. Jacob recognized each of Joseph's two sons as entitled to a full portion in the inheritance. So Ephraim and Manasseh each became a tribe in its own right. In other words, we seem to have a clear contradiction between Devarim and Bereshit, between Deuteronomy and Genesis. How are we to resolve this? It may be that despite the rabbinic principle that the patriarchs observed the whole Torah before it was given, this is only an approximation. Not every law was precisely the same before and after the covenant at Sinai. For instance, Ramban notes the story of Judah and Tamar seems to describe a slightly different form of leveret marriage from the one set out in Deuteronomy. In any case, this isn't the only apparent contradiction between Genesis and later law. There are others, not least the very fact that Jacob married two sisters, something categorically forbidden in the 18th chapter of Vayikra. Ramban's solution, listen to this, is that the patriarchs observed the Torah only when they were living in Israel. Jacob married Leah and Rachel, Leah and Rachel outside Israel in the house of Lavan in Haran, which is where today is part of Turkey. Barbanel gives a quite different explanation. The reason Jacob transferred the double portion from Reuben to Joseph was that God told him to do so. The law in Devarim is therefore stated to make clear the case that Joseph was the exception, not the precedent. Ravavadius Forno suggests that Deuteronomy prohibition applies only when the transfer of the firstborn's rights happens because the father favours one wife over another. It doesn't apply when the firstborn has been guilty of a sin that would warrant forfeiting his legal privilege. That's what Jacob meant when on his deathbed he said to Reuben, unstable as water, you will no longer be first, for you went up onto your father's bed, onto my couch, and defiled it. This is stated explicitly in the book of Chronicles, which says that Reuven was the firstborn, but when he defiled his father's marriage bed, his rights as a firstborn were given to the sons of Joseph, son of Israel. So according to Svorno, Reuven actually forfeited his legal right. However, it's not impossible that there's a different kind of an explanation altogether. What makes the Torah unique is that it is a book about both law and history. Elsewhere, these are two quite different genres. There's law, an answer to the question, what may or may we not do? And there's history, which is an answer to the question, what happened? There's no obvious relationship between the two at all, but not so in Judaism. 
In many cases, especially in mishpat, civil law, there's a connection between law and history, between what happened and what we should or should not do. Much of biblical law, for example, emerges directly from the Israelites' experience in slavery as if to say, this is what our ancestors suffered in Egypt, therefore do not do likewise. Don't oppress your workers, don't turn an Israelite into a lifelong slave. Don't leave your servants or employees without a weekly day of rest, and so on. Not all biblical law is like it, but some is, and it represents truth learned through experience justice as it takes shape through the lessons of history. The Torah takes the past as a guide to the future, often positive, but sometimes also negative. Genesis tells us, among other things, that Jacob's favoritism toward Rachel over Leah and Rachel's firstborn Joseph over Leah's firstborn Reuven was a cause of lingering strife within the family. It almost led the brothers to kill Joseph, and it did lead to their selling him as a slave. According to Ibn Ezra, the resentment felt by the descendants of Reuven endured for several generations, which is the reason why two members of the tribe of Reuven, Datam and Aviram, became key figures, key opponents of Moses in the Korach rebellion. Jacob did what he did as an expression of love. His feeling for Rachel was overwhelming as it was for Joseph, her eldest son. Now, love is central in Judaism, not just between husband and wife, parent and child, but also between us and God, us and our neighbor, us and the stranger. But love is not enough. There must also be justice and the impartial application of the law. People must feel that law is on the side of fairness. You cannot build a society on love alone. Love unites, but it also divides. It leaves the less loved feeling abandoned, neglected, disregarded, senua, hated. It can leave in its wake strife, envy, and a vortex of violence and revenge. That's what the Torah is telling us when it uses verbal association to link the law in our Parsha with the story of Jacob and his sons in Genesis. It is teaching us that law is not arbitrary. It is rooted in an experience of history. Law is a tikkun, a way of putting right what went wrong in the past. We must learn to love, but we must also know the limits of love and the importance of justice as fairness in families as in societies. Shabbat Shalom.